Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. (coughs) Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The second reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and that's on page 828. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they are giving themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, do not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be beneficial that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Nice to see you all. If you haven't met, my name is Paul. I was thinking of doing that kids' talks. Only in Kirribilli you get a five-year-old shouting out marinade. Um, if you were with us earlier in the year, we uh, started Ephesians looking at uh, the first half of Ephesians and we saw what it really is to be in Christ. If you put your trust in Christ, it means that you're united with Christ, it means that you're forgiven, you're redeemed, it means that 
uh, you've been adopted and chosen. It means you've got the Spirit living in you. It means that we as a church are, are united in Christ. And in the next four weeks, we're going to look at the, the second half of Ephesians and to see what impact that makes on us as a church and you as individuals. How does your relationship with Christ really work out on a day-to-day level? And how do we as a church reflect what it really means to be in Christ and united in Christ? Uh, one of the things which I, I love doing, I'm, I'm old now, but you never go out of it, is playing spot the difference. You know, in the, the magazines, in my eyes are attracted to it, I think, yeah, I'll give it a go. And sometimes it's, it's really easy to spot the difference. So, I'll give you a couple of minutes. What are the differences between those, those two pictures? Yep. Yeah, no flower down there. Yep. Yep. The bees stripes are reverse marksmith. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you want to show the answers, Brendan? One down there, two the eyes are different, bee stripes and missing leaves. You see, sometimes when you play those games, spot the difference. Sometimes it's immediately obvious. And other times you spend minutes and hours just trying to spot the difference between these two pictures. And friends, we as Christians and we as a church, we should be so strikingly different that you don't have to spend hours and hours seeing how we as a church are different from the people in the world. And yet the sad reality is that you know, sometimes you walk into a church and sometimes you know, they are so kind to each other and the words that they use are so affirming and they really do love each other and you do spot the difference straight away. But sadly sometimes the church is where you spot the most divisions and the most hatred and hurtful conversations and you walk out of that church and you go they're no different from the world in fact they're worse than all of the world and Paul is writing to Christians in Ephesus and he's saying to them you are different because you know Christ so make sure that you look different what is going to help these Ephesians to know how how to spot the difference three things firstly be warned remember your life without Christ Paul is talking to Gentiles to mainly Gentiles people who are not Jewish and in one sense they are still Gentiles they haven't become Jewish they are still living in a Gentile world they are still living surrounded by the world and we as Christians are still living in this world and the problem with that is that when you're surrounded by the world it's tempting to, to slip back into your old way of life it's tempting just to conform to what your life was like without Jesus and so Paul reminds them up front what life was like without Christ uh, look at verse 17 so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts it's pretty bleak isn't it he says if you, if you don't know Christ 
then your, your minds are godless. Your, your thinking is futile, verse 17. Uh, the people, they might sound intelligent, but actually uh, their thoughts is full of folly because they've got no relationship with the God who made them. Uh, they are darkened in their understanding, verse 18. It's like they're blind to the truth. It's like the lights of the brains have gone out. They're without God in their worldview, there's no benchmark for truth. And so all their thinking is subjective, it's just human reasoning. Uh, they are separated from the life of God, verse 18. They've got no relationship with their Creator. And verse 18, because of the ignorance that's in them. He's saying if you don't know Christ, you're, you're actually ignorant. When you hear the word ignorant, please don't think uh, that they don't know. You know, oh, I'm sorry I didn't come to your party, I, I was ignorant, I didn't know it was happening. That's not what the Bible means, but that's not what the word means. To be ignorant means that you do know, but you choose to ignore. You do know, but you make an active choice to ignore what you know and act differently. And Paul is saying here that they do know there's a God. Of course they know there's a God, but they choose to ignore him. They know God exists, but they stubbornly ignore him. And it's linked to what he calls a hardening of their hearts in verse 18. A heart condition called a hard-heartedness. That the truth of God just bounces off them. They, they hear about Jesus, but, but they refuse to believe. They don't want to hear. They don't want to believe. And what he's saying here is that, that without Jesus... No matter how wise and intelligent and attractive your thinking may sound, it's just theories, it's just pontification, it's just subjective truth. Without Christ, your minds are godless, and the way that you think always dictates the way that you live. And without Christ, your behaviour is godless. And you see that in verse 19. The warning is having lost all sensitivity. The people without Christ have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. He's just describing that downward spiral where your lifestyle becomes more and more and more godless and more and more and more immoral. You know, it's, like, it's like watching an episode of Big Brother. You know, where people just wander around half naked and every other word is bleeped out because it's expletive and all they talk about is sex. And we just watch it. But actually, it's not just on TV, it's in your local pub, it's in your office, it's in your homes, it's on the streets. It's just behaviour because more and more and more godless. And the people in Ephesus, the non-Christians in Ephesus had, what have they done? They'd lost all sensitivity, verse 19. They'd lost the capacity to, to feel the shame or to be embarrassed by that lifestyle. And I think, friends, that is our world, isn't it? We've lost the sensitivity. We've, we've, we've lost the shock. You know, drunkenness is no longer a shock and so we move just to really bad expletives. And that's no longer a shock, so we just move to more and more sex. And that's no longer a shock, and so we move to, to same sex. And that's no longer a shock, so we move to, to very public sex. And that's no longer a shock, and gets more and more and more and more and more depraved. And that's the picture of the world without Christ. It's not if it feels good, do it. They say if it feels good, just flaunt it. 
let's indulge in it, verse 19. They indulge in every kind, every kind. Nothing is off limits. Every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That greed and that hunger for more and more and more. The thing about Godless living friends is that it is, it is selfish and it is unsatisfying. It's selfish because it's all about me. And it's unsatisfying because it gets more and more and more and more depraved but you're never really satisfied. The thrill wears off and you look for the bigger thrill just for deeper search for satisfaction. Now why is Paul warning them? Why does he insist that they don't live like this? He's warning them because, like us, 95% of our time is spent living amongst those people and being fed the information about those people and it's just easy for us just to slip back into our old way of life. And so he says, you know, if you're in Christ, be warned. Remember what you've come from. Don't do this. The problem with warnings, though, I think, is that it can often be a noose around your neck or like a ball and chain and you just think, okay, I've got to be different, I've got to be different. It just wears you down. And that's why this chapter is so liberating. Because he's not saying that you need by your power to be different. What he's saying is that God, through his power, has made you different. So just be who you are. It's not so much be different, it's saying you are different because you're now in Christ. So behave differently. So our second point is be who you are. Be who you are. Remember your new status in Christ. Paul takes us back to school with the language of verse 20. It's a language of learning. Let me read verse 20 and 21 to you literally. You, however, you didn't come to learn Christ that way. Surely you heard Christ and you were taught by Christ in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. We normally learn a subject, but he's saying here, you've learned a person. You didn't come to learn Christ that way. You, you, you welcomed Jesus into your life and you know him intimately. You, you learned all about his, his teaching and his life and his resurrection and, and you heard him in verse 21. You literally heard his voice. You know, when the gospel was spoken to you and, and you heard for that first time uh, the words of forgiveness and the word of redemption, the word of adoption, it, it's like it was, it, was, it was, you bowled you over when you heard those words. And then you were taught in Christ. Your behaviour, you, your, your thinking was shaped, not by folly, but by the words of Jesus. And if you've heard that, if you've learned Christ, if you're in Christ, and Paul is saying, you are different. You are different, you're a different person. So just be who you are. Let me try and use Paul's own illustration. Paul is saying here, the clothes that you wear tell people something about yourself. The clothes that you wear tell people something about who you are. And they say, if you're a policeman, you wear certain clothes and everyone can spot you're a policeman because you're wearing that uniform. If you're a soldier, then actually you're entitled to wear that uniform. And you should wear that uniform. And he says, if you're a Christian, your words and your behaviour should show people who you are. It's like if I, if I go shopping on Oxford Street, uh, I go into Marks or I go into Morrissey or 
any of those men's shops up there. And I walk in in my old tracky dacks and my old t-shirt and the guy behind the counter says to me, here's a new suit, here's a new shirt, here's a new tie, here's a new pair of shoes, put them on. And I go into the change room and I'm completely transformed. And I walk out of the shop a new man. I don't keep the, the old t-shirt and the tracky dacks on underneath. I don't even take them out of the shop with me, I just leave it behind. Because I'm a new person. And that's what Paul is saying here. The Ephesians needed to grasp this. I think many of us need to grasp this. It's not about striving to be different. That's called religion. Doing good things is called religion. Thinking that you can be different. Paul is saying here, if you're in Christ, then you are different. God has completely changed you, so just be different. Be who you are. Look at verses 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says get rid of the old self verse 22 the old mind shaped by the world is gone your old habits shaped by the world they've gone It happened the day you believed in Jesus. Put them off. Verse 24. Put on your new self. You are are a new creation. You have been created to be like God. What is God like? God is holy. God is righteous. God is pure. And so therefore, you put on true righteousness and true holiness. He's saying, you are righteous in God's sight, so be righteous. You are holy in God's sight, so be holy. If you've learned Christ, you are different, so be who you are. Now, how is the Ephesian church going to do that? How are we going to do that? Now, to pick up my example, you know, I go back home and I've left my tracky dacks, I've left my t-shirt in the shop, but I go home and I open my wardrobe and my wardrobe's full of my old clothes again. How am I going to be different? It's tempting to go back, isn't it? Verse 22, put off your old self. Verse 24, put on the new self. What's in between? What's the verse in between? Verse 23. Let's read it together. Verse 23. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Do you see how, for the unbeliever, their mind dictates their behaviour? But for you, if you're in Christ, your mind will shape your behaviour. You've got to be made new in your mind. You've got to have your thinking changed by the truth, by the word of God. Uh, that, that daily inward renewal and reshaping of your thinking will help you to put off your old and put on the new and daily wake up and say, I'm in Christ. And your mind will be shaped by that. It's really Romans 12 verse 2. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the new renewing of your mind. That's Ephesians 4.23. To be made new in the, 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 literally the spirit of your mind. So I want to ask you, you know, what do you fill your minds with? What do you shovel into your minds? Are you hooked onto the internet and you're just spend all your time surfing the net and that shapes the way that you think? 
maybe you just fill your mind with all the junk that comes to the TV into your mind and you just believe everything. Maybe you fill your mind just with the conversation from the gutter that you have at your workplace or down the pub or at the sailing club or wherever you go. What do you fill your mind with? Do you allow your mind to be shaped by by the scriptures, by the word of God? When you meet with other believers, do you fill your mind with wholesome things and light things and holy things and true things? Do you fill your mind with that constant reminder, you know, I'm in Christ, so I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I'm adopted, I'm, I'm different. Be who you are. You've got to know who you are and allow your mind to transform who you are. So you put off the old and put on the new. Let's get practical. Because Paul does in verses 25 onwards, he moves from the lofty heights of learning Christ to the the nitty-gritty of Christian behaviour. Because Paul is very concerned about the way that Christians relate, not as individuals, but as a church. And so he says in verse 25 onwards, be different to build up the body of Christ. Be different to build up the body of Christ. He's saying, if you know Christ, you'll have a different speech. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off the falsehood and speak truthfully. Get rid of the lies, get rid of the deceitful speech, get rid of the half-truths, get rid of the false flattery, and learn to speak truth. To speak the whole truth. Not just saying nice things, but saying truthful things and honest things. So when we gather together, we actually tell each other the truth. And we feed each other the word of God. And we don't try and flatter each other, we don't tell half-truths, we just tell the truth. And when we gather together, at verse 26, we do, we do resolve the conflicts. And in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't let the, the frustrations and the conflicts fester and brood and, until it leads to sin and envy and hatred and bitterness. Make sure this speech is different. Make sure that your speech is edifying. Verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Do you spot that? When you speak, the words that come out of your mouths, it's not about you. (laughs) You've got to stop and think, what would help to build the other person up? Would this be helpful for them? Will what come out of your mouth, will it be harmful, abusive, vulgar, slanderous, or put-downs, or criticisms? Or, will what comes out of your mouth be helpful for building other people up? Our words matter, he says. The words that come out of your mouth when we gather together over morning tea, when we gather together as a church, will either show people that you're in Christ, or you're not in Christ. And we all know the little kids ditto that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt. It's rubbish, isn't it? Words are the most hurtful things. And your words will either tear people down or they will build people up. We should have different speech and we should have different attitudes. That's in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. Throw off your rage and the anger and the brawling and the slander. 
along with every form of malice. Get rid of your uncontrolled verbal abuse. Get rid of your slander. I think slander is one thing which we're good at here. We disguise it as sharing information and we disguise it as prayer requests. But it's really slander. It's really put you down. It's really gossip. He says, get rid of it. And instead, verse 32, put on kindness. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Kindness isn't that insipid, weak attribute. Kindness is when you show unconditional, undeserving care towards somebody, expecting nothing in return. And compassion is when you show that tender-heartedness, unlimited mercy. You love the loveless. You give them what no one else will give them. They don't deserve it, but you show that compassion to them. Just like God has shown us. And then he says, forgive. Verse 32, forgiving each other. Wiping the slate clean. Not, not tucking away that grudge for later ammunition. But you generally forgive each other because in Christ you're forgiven. Now what will it mean for this church to be different? Different speech, different attitudes. The question is why? You see, I could preach this sermon to a whole bunch of moralists and they would say, yeah, that's right. Be kind to each other, don't lie, speak the truth, build each other up. Why does Paul want them to know this? Not to make the world a better place, not just so that we ourselves will feel good. Why are we to be different in our speech? The answer is unity. Because we are united, because Christ has brought us. And the way that we speak and the way that we behave should display the reality of our unity. Let's look again at verse 25. You put off falsehood and you speak truthfully. Why? Because we are all members of one body. Because in Christ we've been united to each other. And lies will cause division, but the truth will bring that unity. Why do you resolve the conflicts? Verse 27. Because not to do so would give the devil a foothold. Satan would long to, to break our unity. He would long to have factions and fightings and disputes because that's ugly and people would laugh at Christ. Why is our speech edifying? Verse 29. Again, because of unity. Because we want to build other people up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen, literally give grace to those who listen. The way that we speak as a church to each other will make the gospel attractive. It will build people up. And if we don't, verse 30, then the Holy Spirit will be grieved. The Spirit who lives in us, the Spirit who has bought us, the Spirit who owns us, the Spirit who brings that unity, he is grieved. It's like a death has happened when he sees a Christian and another Christian and their, their speech and their behaviour is so offensive it is not displaying that they're united in Christ and he grieves and he mourns and when he sees the church that, that is the temple of the Holy Spirit and there's fighting and there's bickering he's grieved because he's saying that's not what I died for that's not the church that I bought and why are we to be different in our attitudes Again, it's unity. Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you.
See, when we've understood the cost of our forgiveness, and when we've understood how much it cost God to, to buy us back, then you will sit there and you'll say, I didn't deserve that, yet God has forgiven me. And the person next to me who has offended me so badly, he doesn't deserve that, but, but God has forgiven him in Christ. And if God has forgiven him, then who am I? Who am I to, to withhold that forgiveness? Friends, please don't read Ephesians 4 as individuals. We're good at doing that. We're good at thinking, me, 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 me. This is about us as a church, us as a body, us as a group of believers. He's saying, here at Church by the Bridge, are we going to foster this mindset that, that the words that we speak will either be highly damaging or extremely edifying? Are we going to foster this mindset that I can show kindness or compassion to somebody or I can just put them down and show them slander? And so when people walk through our doors, are they going to see our unity in Christ and they say, wow, they're different. And they don't have to stare at the screen for half an hour to spot the differences. They can sit next to us in the pews and spot the differences. And they can talk to us over coffee and spot the differences. And they can meet you in the streets and spot the differences. Why? Because we're just being who we are. Bought by Christ. Won by Christ. Forgiven in Christ. We've put off our old self. We've put on our new self. Because our minds have been changed by Christ. Will people spot the difference in you? And will people spot the difference in this church? Let me pray. I'm going to give you a moment now to pray privately. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for speech or attitudes which don't reflect who you are in Christ. And maybe we need to pray that God would help us to keep on putting on kindness and compassion and that our speech would be wholesome and edifying. Paul says, put off your old self, put on your new self, and be made new in the attitude of your minds. Lord, we need your help, we need your spirit to do that. Lord, please keep transforming our minds, keep feeding our minds with things which are right and pure and holy. Help us to recognise who we are in Christ, and help us to be different. And we are sat for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, you may have questions or comments uh, that what we've heard in God's word has raised for you. 
on your um, outline there's an opportunity to, uh, to fill those things out. You may have details, you've just visited us and you want to let us know you're, you're passing through. You might have prayer requests that you'd like to share. Uh, I'll give you a moment. There are pencils at, at the end of uh, the seats.